Good morning. That's hot. Can we turn that down just a little bit? Uh, well, hey, you guys made it. You're the early risers, and uh, I didn't know. I was like, will anybody be here with me at uh, 9.30 this morning? We'll see if anybody remembered to set their clocks. Good job. Uh, I was telling these guys back in the uh, the green room before we came out here, uh, there's this house that I drive by in Blue Ash, and there's a sign in the yard. The, the sign is there all year long, and it's the one, you know, how, you know, people put signs in their yard for things they're passionate about. The one thing that this person is passionate about time change is stupid that's just the signs is like okay you know some of you are not that passionate about it uh but you know it does make you wonder i don't know what's it all about but you guys are not deterred you're here this morning and we are tackling element number five in our discipleship series elementary discipleship and so we're over the halfway mark hopefully you've had the opportunity uh to be reading along and also diving in in a group setting and really talking about uh what it looks like when the rubber meets the road when it comes to living as a disciple of jesus in these areas of our life today we're talking about the stone element and the stone is all about love and uh, we just came off of a, a month uh, kind of talking about love right Valentine's Day I don't know some of you guys like I didn't even know I did, did we have that like does that is that still going on uh, but I don't know if you realize this but this year people spent uh, and you could turn me down just a little bit still um, uh, it, we spent an average of $142 on Valentine's Day this year. So that's like, some of, I just got some of you in trouble. You're like, really? Okay, $142. Um, we always kind of do the thing, like, well, yeah, thing we bought earlier, like, that's for Valentine's Day. Like, we don't ever actually, it's all, we're always, like, buying stuff. So we, we play that whole game, but, like, it's always, you always lose when it's like, we're not going to get presents this year, you know? And then the other person, you know, not naming any names in my situation, but, like, they get you a present, you're like, I feel like the worst person. We weren't supposed to be getting presents, like, what happened? Um, but back in my day, I know, I realize the irony of that, um, that statement, but back in my day, a simple card would suffice, you know? Just, like, a simple card, you know, it's from the heart, it's a meaningful card. Uh, so I found some of my favorite Valentine's Day cards as I was just scouring the internet, and I wanted to share some of these with you. And so... I, lo- I like these. These are like modern, you know, they're practical. Thanks for not being just another weirdo on the internet. You know, it's like, it's, that's awesome. That's meaningful. Uh, how about this one? Uh, you know, for those of you that like the corny, do you have a Band-Aid because I scraped my knee falling for you? Some of you, you, were, some of you ladies were touched by that. I'm impressed. Uh, not working on some of you. are like, okay, yeah, right. Uh, you're the only reason I shaved my legs. Thank you for making me want to be a better person, you know? Love brings out the best in one another. You got to appreciate that. And I love that. Yeah, okay, anyway. Uh, this, is, this is perfect, right? This, how romantic is this? I have no immediate plans to break up with you. And so, good, that relationship's going strong. Um, you take, there's another corny one for you. There it is. On the inhaler, you take my breath away. Uh, awesome. Uh, I think there might be. Uh, I'm sorry that I roll my eyes at you pretty often. You know, I was like, I like the realistic nature of that card. Uh, and this one's sort of, I don't know any of you guys like watching The Mandalorian, but Baby Yoda won for me. That's, uh, there you go for those of you Star Wars fans. And then this is my, this is my favorite one, I think. You'll do. You'll do. 
So as we dig into discipleship element number five, we come to this topic of love, and we think about really the essence of love. This is a word that we throw around a lot, right? And there's a lot of different kinds of love. We think about romantic love. And today, what we really want to kind of press in toward is not the I love pizza kind of love, you know, or I love, um, you know, ballet or whatever. I don't, that just popped into my head. I don't actually love ballet. Uh, but um, it's not that kind of love. We're talking, we're talking about the biblical kind of love. What is that look like? And what does it look like for us, because we're talking about discipleship, to live in the way of love? And talking about the love that comes from God, agape kind of a love. Romans 5, 8 tells us that the, the best gesture of love is this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so that's a picture of love, and that's really the kind of love that we want to capture and kind of wrap our heads and our hearts around today. Because as recipients of love, we have a responsibility to love. As recipients of love, we have a responsibility to love. Jesus says that they will know you are my disciples if, anybody know what they do? Love one another. That's how they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So how do we relate to one another as disciples? How do our, what are our relationships really, um, just what captures our relationships in a single word? It's love, that we love one another. That should be the visible evidence that we are disciples of Jesus. And I fear that because this word takes on so many forms today and it's thrown around so much, we maybe lose touch with the true meaning of what love is. And so love isn't just a someone. The Bible tells us that God is love. And so if we want to understand more about love, love isn't just a something, it's a someone. And so God gives us this perfect picture in Jesus of what love is. And in John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling. So Jesus became, God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And here's, for those of you that are visual learners, it's simple math, right? That love is, in its fullness, it's both grace and truth. It's this perfect balance. It's this perfect tension of, like a rubber band that's being pulled apart, that love exists in this tension of both grace and truth. Neither one of those things are sufficient in and of themselves, but it's both of those things because Jesus is the fullness of both of those things. And so what we're going to do today is just take a moment and look at a story of a woman who encountered love firsthand. She encountered the person of love firsthand, and we're going to see what we can learn about love from the person of love in Jesus. And so if you turn with me, John 8 is where we're going to be today. We're going to be looking at John 8, 1 through 11. So give you a second just to turn there. It'll also be up on the screen today. It says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came in again to the temple. All the people came to him and sat down and taught them. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it's commanded us that we should stone such women. So what do you say? And they were using this as a test that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus took a moment. He bent down and wrote his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let he who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one 
beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was just left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up, and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Now go uh, from here and sin no more. And so let's just make some observations from the text here about what love looks like and really this love that Jesus embodies in the purest of ways. And the first thing we understand is that this love is received, not achieved. Love is received, not achieved. I'm not the first person to say that. There's no way you've heard this before, right? We understand the sentiment of this. We talk about this. Love is received, not achieved. But no matter how many times I hear that phrase— some of us, and myself included, we're going to still think that we can achieve God's love. Like, if we could just work a little bit harder, if we could just do all the right things, if we could just check all the boxes, that we could somehow achieve God's love. And so we, it's so easy for us to forget this, that love is received, not achieved. We have to come to this realization, though, that, and as we read that story, the first person that you might resonate with might not be the woman in the middle of the circle of accusers. But we have to understand that we're all that woman. Our sin might not look exactly like her sin looks. We might not even think in comparison that our sin is as dirty as that. But imagine for just a second, because we all have it, right? We all have a past. We all have baggage. We all have skeletons in our closet. Imagine, because here this woman is, and she has been caught in the act of adultery. Meaning she is literally pulled out of this act and she was placed before Jesus at her most exposed moment, right? Her lowest of lows moment. How'd you like to stand before the God of the universe at that moment in your life? But the truth is we all stand before God, right? In our ugliest of moments. And we see that God extends his love to us anyway. And it's important for us to continue to remember that we're that woman, because if we're going to have the ability to show love to one another, we have to understand that we are fully dependent and desperate for God's love ourselves. And so we got to remind ourselves that we're that woman too. Because we'll only be able to express love as far as we've experienced love. We have to have the ability to let God love us. We uh, were at a conference not too long ago uh, with a bunch of church leaders, and there was this great prayer time that we had. And one of the first things that the guy that was kind of leading through this prayer time did was he was just taking, he's very kind of like just this soft, gentle, peaceful voice as he's leading through this prayer time. And it was early in the morning for me, you know, I had my coffee, and I'm like, okay, like, you know, let's go, like, let's, let's do some prayer. And one of the first things he said was this phrase that just struck me kind of interestingly. He said, okay, now, just for a moment, I want you guys just to let God love you. And I'm like, I'm like looking around, like, is anybody else like, what are they doing? Like, what does that mean? Like, let God love, like, I don't, I have no idea. I'm like, are these other leaders like, what, how, what are they doing? How are they responding, you know? Because like, this seems like such a passive response. Right? So how do I just, okay, I'm just gonna see here. Okay, God, just love me. Like, what does that, what does that look like, you know? And I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that like, I don't even know what that means, right? And I think a lot of us, we, we struggle with just letting God love us. I think we struggle with it. And some of us, we're just resistant to it all together. And I think about uh, my little guy, Jude, now, who's now at that stage where, like, he doesn't just sit in your arms, but he's, like, every time, like, his neck goes back, and he's, like, I'm, he's about to jump out of your hands, like, every two seconds, right? It's like, no, just let Daddy love you. Like, I just want to hold you right now. It's like, no, I'm going to jump out of your arms over and over again. 
And I think there's this tendency, especially if we have any kind of guilt or shame in our lives, right? We do what they did in the garden. That's like, I'm running from God, right? Because I know I've got some past. I've got some junk in my life. I'm not going to run to God when I'm dealing with those kinds of things, but I'm going to run from God, or we're going to do like they did in the garden too, which is hide from God or resist God. And we have this natural tendency to resist God, but it's much harder for us to let God love us. But we need to start seeing God differently, and we need to start seeing ourselves differently. So imagine you're this woman in the story, and you're received by Jesus despite the ugliness of your story and the ugliness of your life and the sin and the shame. And she has this opportunity to let God love her. And we, I love the picture of the prodigal son, right? And what a great picture of God's love that, you know, when that son finally decides to run home, what's God doing? What's in God is the father in the story. He's waiting with open arms, and he's running out to meet the son. So we got to start seeing God as a God who runs to us, and we have to, in exchange, run to him. A few weeks ago, and, I, and I'm just trying to continue to, to, to uh, ad- adopt this kind of concept of God, and I realize that, you know, I've got a long way to go, but even last week, um, and there's a song we're going to sing here in just a little bit, and Hannah kind of led us through this worship moment, and there's this line in the song that just, like, washed over me, and it's just this. It says, fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. Some of us don't want to believe that, right? Some of us can't comprehend that. No, not me. You don't know me. You don't know my story, right? Fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. And the more you fully grasp God's love, the more you can readily share it. We have to be loved before we can be loved to someone else. We have to be loved first, so let love in. 1 John 4, 15 through 17 charges us to let God love us in this way. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him. God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that, that uh, the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in him. By this um, is love perfected within us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment because as, as he is so also we are in this world when we live in love we live in god and so we got to continue to let god love us if we want to embody love we got to let god or we got to let love in so love um, does not achieve love is received love replaces condemnation with compassion i mean just look at this moment you think about the difference between mercy and grace right mercy is this pardoning act where grace is bestowing this favor upon this woman that she doesn't deserve and jesus does both in this moment and there's really these two postures or positions that we see in this story the first posture or position is the posture of the mob right and the mob what are they doing they're there to accuse her they've got stones in her, their hand they're ready to uphold the law and carry out this righteous uh, act of judgment upon her and then there's this different posture that we see and that's the posture of jesus So one is this posture of just standing over this woman. The other is a posture of standing beside this woman, standing behind this woman, standing with this woman. And the the religious religious leaders, they were not wrong in principle. They were dead wrong in their posture. They were familiar with the law, but they missed the spirit of the law. 
You see, they stood over her. Jesus stood with her. They aimed to shame her. Jesus sought to free her. They sought to harm her. Jesus fought to protect her. They wanted for her to pay for her crime. Jesus would later absorb the penalty for that very crime and all the crimes that she had committed in her life, all the sin that she had committed in her life. You see, love replaces condemnation with compassion. If we're going to walk in the way of love, we have to take on that same posture of compassion that Jesus takes on. And so my question is, which do we represent in our relationship to others? Which do you more embody, the mob or Jesus? Do you look more like Jesus? Do you look more like the mob? And then the other question is, as a church, as a people, as an environment here, which do we represent to a world of people that are starving for grace and compassion? Do we look more like the mob, or do we look more like the posture of Jesus standing with people, fighting for people, seeking to set people free in the way of love? For those of you that like a loophole, some of you like, they like to find the loophole in things. We have a lot of people like this in our gym. They're always fine, trying to find, like, hey, how do I get around, like, doing that extra work or doing that extra thing? So, like, I'm going to find the way to kind of game the system. If, if that's you, it's okay. It's okay. There, there is one loophole that Jesus leaves in here on purpose, right? He says, all right, here, you're right about what the law says, so here's what I'm going to tell you you can do. Here's the one person that can go ahead and throw a stone at this woman, he who is without sin. That's the loophole. So if any of you are in that category, if any of you have, have found perfection in your own life, you now have the ability. You can do it. You can throw the first stone. But we know the irony of that statement, right? And it's a beautifully genius kind of moment from Jesus. We see these over and over again. But what he is doing is he's both upholding the law in that moment, but he's also enforcing the way of love. None of us fit that belt bill so what stones do you need to release what what about in your own relationships what grudges are you holding on to what unforgiveness are you holding on to what bitterness continues to take up residence in your heart c.s lewis captures it succinctly he says to be a christian means to forgive the inexcusable because god has forgiven the inexcusable in me it's not that people necessarily deserve it right we certainly did not deserve it, but love makes this decision to move from a place of condemnation to a place and position and posture of compassion. And then you've heard it said, right, love is an action word. It's a verb. Love then moves from apathy to action. You see, Jesus could have done nothing, right? He could have just stood there, and this is not my business. This is your guys' beef, you know? Like, why are you trying to trap me in on this? I mean, after all, he's Jesus. I'm sure he has some important things to do. They interrupted his sermon, you know, like, come on, like, why you got to do that? Um, but Jesus used this opportunity to lean in, and he got involved. He got involved. And in a single phrase, he dispersed the crowd. I mean, one for imagine you could just in that kind of power and that kind of moment fight on behalf of this woman and disperse an angry mob, right? one phrase and he brought them all to this realization and i just have to envision jesus was perfect but if i had dropped a line like that and dispersed an entire crowd i feel pretty good about myself you know like where are your accusers woman you know i don't see any accusers left they're all gone you know but jesus in just the perfect and powerful kind of a way he does ask that question woman where are your accusers is nobody condemned you? is nobody left 
right? And he knows the answer to that. They're all gone because Jesus fought to protect this woman. And what she doesn't yet know is that he will pay the price for the very sin that she just committed. He will be the one that upholds the law on her behalf. He will be her substitute and make payment. And every other sin in her life he will pay for as well. That's how much Jesus loves her. That's how much Jesus loves you and me. And that's how much Jesus loves everybody outside this building. That's how much Jesus loves that coworker that's just so hard to love. That's how much Jesus loves that person that you just have trouble dealing with. That's how much Jesus loves that family member that you're just like, man, I just, I don't know if we could ever get right. I don't know if we could ever figure it out. Jesus loves each of those people enough to sacrifice his own life that while we were still sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us, that he would die for us, the ungodly. And he gives us this command. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Respond in love. There is no greater love than to actively, right, lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Our mandate is to love the way that Jesus loved, actively, selflessly, sacrificially, unconditionally. We, a couple weeks ago, we've been doing kind of on our Sabbath day, occasionally we'll like pull things out of a hat. Like we'll all say, okay, what do you want to do? Like to just kind of have some joy and have some fun together and enjoy relationship together on Sabbath. And so we'll throw different things in a hat. And a couple weeks ago, we pulled out, um, we're going to dinner at Tom and Chi, and then we also pulled out of the hat that we're going to Skate Town USA. And uh, mind you, none of us really are skaters. Like, we're not, you know, I used to do, I used to blade back in the day. You know, I wasn't a roller, so I used to do some rollerblading back in my day. Uh, but none of us really have spent a lot of time roller skating. Aiden has never done it. Eli has never done it. And let's just say it was an absolute disaster. But it was hilarious. So, like, it skates on these guys. And I, I've never laughed so hard, I, and I, I unashamedly laughed so hard at my kids. Then, like, when they first got to this game, I'm talking, like, Aiden, Aiden probably fell down 17 times in a row. Like, that's not an exaggeration. He'd get up, he'd fall right back down. He'd get up, he'd fall right back down. And you can, he's just like, you know, it's like a baby giraffe, you know, that whole thing, you know. It was, it was amazing. And uh, I'm just laughing. I hadn't put my skates on yet, you know. But I'm over there, I'm laughing. I think it's hilarious, you know. And uh, I did all right. But what was great is this dude stuck with it. And uh, we told him, it's like, you know, buddy, you could do this. Like, and they were out of the little, when you see the kid in front of them just wiping out, you know, and I was laughing at everybody who was going, I mean, I, I, I don't know why people falling down is so funny to me. Like, if they were legitimately hurt, I would feel differently, I'm sure. But like, it was just great. And uh, so I stood over there just taking pictures and video for a while. I have a great video, if anybody wants to see it later, of, of Aiden falling down like 18 times. Uh, but he finally started to get the hang of it. And now he's out there and he's actually pretty good at skating around. He's making it his way around. And I'm talking, like, these are little kids, but there's people out there, they're really good at it, you know, they're skating and out, and they have no mind for, like, the little people out there, you know, like, nobody is, is stopping to help, and, and there's kids like this falling down everywhere. Once Aiden gets the hang of it, I was so impressed with, like, what he did. He started skating around, and I look back, I'm like, where is Aiden? I'm, like, skating out ahead, I'm waiting for him to catch up. I was like, did he fall down again? But I look back, and what he's doing is he's helping kids up off the floor, that have been falling down. He's like, he's out there getting a hand. He's picking kids up off the floor. He's like, he's rearranging their little like, you know, PVC pipe things. And he's like lifting them up. He's lending a hand. And I love that it was a, such a, it's a beautiful picture of his heart, but it's also a beautiful picture of this 
what, what it looks like if you've been there, right? He had just recently been there. He knows what, it likes, what it's like to be laying on that floor while his dad laughs at him. You know, it's like, he's like, hey, don't worry. I'll help you guys up. I'll help you guys up. And I think this is such a beautiful picture of grace is when we get to this place where we drop the stones, right? Because we have stones in our hands. We're not free to reach out a hand to help people. If you're holding on to grudges and bitterness, you're not free to actually reach out and help that person in the best way that you could help that person. You've got to get to the place where you're like, you know what, I've been there too. Let me help you up and let me reach out a hand. So who needs you to pull them up out of the dirt? Who needs you to pull them up off the ground? Because love is an action word. It moves from apathy to action. And lastly, I think we see in the story that Love always fights for what's best. It really does, because Jesus gives this charge to this woman who he's just demonstrated this tremendous act of love to, and he says, listen, neither do I condemn you. I mean, what a perfect picture of grace and mercy. Neither do I condemn you. Though you deserve it, I don't condemn you. But then he gives her this challenge. Go and leave your life of sin. Go and leave your life of sin. Don't go back to that life. Don't run back to what you know because I know that's bondage. That's not freedom, and you have the opportunity now to go live different. So go live different. Don't go back there. And love does this. As much as we're taught that love never speaks up or never, love never speaks true, that and we have this kind of weak definition of tolerance today, which just says, you know, just let a, you know, if you care about people, just don't say anything, right? in the right posture, in the right heart. That's not what love does. Love fights for the people that it loves. Withholding truth is not really loving people. I mean, think about your kids. They're about to run into traffic. Would you not say something? If they're in trouble, would you not do everything you could to free them from whatever that source of trouble? And so Jesus says, no, don't go back there. I don't want that for you. I have so much more for you because... I love you. And Jesus understands that true freedom comes through the truth. The truth is what brings freedom, and Jesus wants true freedom for everybody. Later in John 8, following this encounter with this woman, Jesus is again addressing the crowds, specifically the Jews that were there that had believed in him. And he says this, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Gives us this picture of bondage. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And this is what Jesus wants for this woman more than anything, is that she would be free of the sin that has entangled her life, that she would step into the life that she was meant for. And we follow in the pattern of the son when we point people toward greater freedom and fullness, when we use the truth to speak life into people because love fights for what's best. Love speaks truth because truth brings freedom. This past week, I was coming home from the gym on Monday night, and about 7 o'clock when I'm rolling out of the gym, I'm like hungry. Like I'm ready to get some dinner. I knew dinner was waiting on me. I'm getting excited about that. And I'm pulling up. I'm literally within like five minutes of my house, and I'm driving in through downtown Lebanon. And I stop at this stop sign, and I look over, and as I look over, I make eye contact with this young lady that's, like, waving me down, like, waving me down, waving me down. I'm like, you know, it's dinner time. Like, I don't know what you need, but, you know, put the window down, you know, and uh, 
she's like, hey, I just got out of Warren County Correction, and I, I need to find a way up to Franklin. And she, I'm like, I don't know if you realize, but Franklin is not that— Franklin is the other way, you know, like that's, that's not the way to dinner, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm taking a moment, I'm like, she's like, can I either make a phone call or, you know, and so finally, like, I, you know, I'm like, let me just pull off to the side here for just a second, and I sort of made just a, you know, just a decision in that moment, I'm like, all right, we're going up to Franklin, and so I'm like, I'm going to take her uh, home, and um, she gets into my car, and you know how it is, it's like, you don't really know ever who's getting into your car, and you have all those thoughts going through your mind, and so I'm kind of on edge, you know, and I'm like, I normally, like, okay, what am I, so I'm trying to assess my threat level, and so I, I totally, I totally ask the cliche question right off the bat, like, I don't even waste any time, so what are you in for, you know, <laughs> It seems like an important question right now, you know, like, what are you in for? And uh, so I asked, and she told me, she's like, you know, it's, it was kind of like a petty theft thing. I'm like, okay, I can deal with petty theft. Like, where, where do you need to go, you know? There's nothing in here you can steal from me that I'm too worried about. And uh, so I take her, I start to, learn, like, learn her story. I'm like, hey, you want to eat? You know, she's like, yeah, trays were, like, way earlier down. I'm hungry. And so we go over, we roll through Wendy's, we get some food. And I start to learn her story that she's 19 years old, just a young girl, right, that has gotten into some trouble and, and maybe made some, some bad decisions along the way. And I'm getting her food, and we're rolling out of the, the drive through and I just start to have this sense, you know, it was just this thought, you know, like a Holy Spirit kind of thought, and God just continued to press on me, what if this was your daughter? Man, like, what if this was your daughter? I started to think about that, and you know, you know what? If this was my daughter, you know, the first thing I'd do, I'd just listen to her, like, tell me about So I started to just listen. I'm like, you know, just tell me your story. So I learned more of her story. I learned that she had lost her dad to drugs. I learned that she had dropped out of school to take care of her mom, who's an alcoholic, and just had a lot of difficult things happen and uh so over the course of that conversation uh you know i kind of learned she was in and out of warren county and um but on this particular night she had nobody to pick her up because they were like you know enough's enough we're not picking you up today and um so i'm like okay i have 20 minutes here you know in a captive audience to really just speak love into this girl's life and um and so I told her, I told her, this is the line that I just told you, is I was like, you know what, if you were my daughter, here's some things I would say. And, uh, you know, knowing your story. And so, you know, I just tried to listen, learn, and I told her what I thought I would say if she was my daughter. And that might be my only encounter with her, you know, in my life. And I had an opportunity. I told her about Middletown Church, which is on the road from her. And I said, you know, I'm one of the pastors at a church, and we have a Middletown campus. I'd love to see you sometime. Uh, but at the end of that conversation, I really just hope that it amounted to something like, hey, move forward. Don't go back. You know, God has more in store for you. And I believe that we have opportunities every day. It's not necessarily somebody on the side of the road. There's people in our life every day that need a pep talk like that. Look, you got to know that I love you. I just want what's best for you and the best possible truth that you can breathe into somebody's life. Before you try to do any kind of behavioral correction in their life, because that's not what I'm telling you here. What I'm telling you is you better have listened. You better have learned their story. You better have gotten to know them and be doing this through the vehicle of a relationship. And then... From there, I hope that the first truth that you speak into their life is just to point them to Jesus, the person of love. Rather than trying to correct everything in their life, just point them to Jesus, who is the source of truth. And I think if we 
do that, if we continue to live that way and lean into love in that way, we'll see the power of what it looks like when love takes hold of life after life. And I think that's what we're called to as a group of people. And if we forget what love looks like, just look to Jesus. Keep pointing other people to Jesus. Each of those statements that we made today, if Jesus is love and we believe that Jesus is the source of love, he's the embodiment of love. So in each of those statements today, we can put Jesus' name in there. Jesus uh, receives us at our worst. Jesus replaces condemnation with compassion. Jesus moves from apathy to action. Jesus fights for what's best, and so should we. In Romans 12, 9 through 21, Eugene Patterson writes this paraphrase of that scripture, and I, I like the way that this reads. It says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in the flame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got, got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go and buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Lay down your stones. Take up love. As we close, I just want to share a story that maybe some of you have heard. It's a story that's been circulated through the news. But it's a beautiful expression of what love looks like in the most difficult of circumstances. In an unthinkable tragedy on September 6, 2018, Amber Geiger walked into the wrong apartment thinking it was her own, and she, uh, she shot and killed Botham Jean uh, in his apartment. And of course, this was something that kind of got swept up really big in the media, and this trial became a very prominent trial for a long time. Um, and at the end of that trial, there was just this key moment where uh, Botham Jean, his little brother Brant, had the opportunity to show this woman love amidst this difficult and tragic situation. And just as we close today, I'm going to have you watch uh, that video that transpired in that courtroom. <laughs> 